This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me this evening. I am super excited. We have three guests. My usual co-host who's been in and out a little bit this year, Mr. Matt Caraccio, is across the board for me to say. Matt, how are you tonight? Oh, Paul, I'm fired up, man. I mean, anytime we get to sit in this evening and and do what we're going to do tonight with the people that we have aboard is just an absolute awesome evening. So I cannot wait to get started. Matt, excited to have two more guests on with us this evening. Shane Manila, welcome back. I think this is now the third or fourth year that we have had you on the show post-draft to do a rookie draft. Our partner in crime the last couple of years, Tyler, could not make it. Maybe he didn't want to take the heat in the kitchen with you guys throwing fire back and forth at each other. But it is great to have you back, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's at least the third year in a row. And yeah, Tyler got tired of losing in these mock drafts and people (laughs) just making fun of him. So I understand why he needed to bail out this year. I mean, for his own pride. And it's fine. Uh, And rounding out the foursome for tonight is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. You have been a fixture here at Saturday, Sunday over the last couple of weeks. Stepping in on night one of the NFL draft last week for the first half of the IDP rookie ranking show. How are you doing this evening? Great, Paul. I'm I'm happy to be back again. Uh, first time I get to be on with Matt too, and um, you know what? I I'm willing to take the bullet for for Tyler. Shane, Shane, give me your burst. <laughs> So what we're going to do tonight, guys, is we're going to go through at least one round, hopefully two rounds of a rookie mock draft. It's going to be one quarterback. We think that's a little bit more intriguing in terms of where the quarterbacks go than two quarterback or super flex. It's going to be PPR, non-tight end premium. You know, I think it kind of opens it up for a lot of avenues that that can go. We predetermine the order. We have not predetermined the picks. So you're going to you're going to see people, you know, as reaction in real time. So Shane, why don't you kick it off? You have the 1.01 pick. All right. So it's Trevor Lawrence. Oh, wait, no. Okay. Not Trevor Lawrence. Um, so that's weird. I'm not used to doing 101 and it not being Trevor Lawrence. Um, <laughs> I am going to go Jamar Chase. Um, I, I get the Najee Harris love. I do. He looks like a stud. Um, it sucks as neither of these guys have any room for growth whatsoever <laughs> in their ADP because um, they're pretty much already at their ceilings. So I can't even use that argument against one of the other. It's just I think Chase will be special, whereas I think Harris will be good or to very good, where I think Chase can be a legitimate top five wide receiver, if not the wide receiver one. And I don't see that in Harris's outcomes, range of outcomes. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting pick. And I think it's 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 one in my opinion, and I'll get I'll see where where my first pick lands. For me, I, I'm in, I'm between two guys, so I think it's interesting that that you went the chase route, Matt. Let me kick it over to you real quick. Jamar Chase, you know, been the guy we've been talking about for quite some time. Can you can you maybe just your level of excitement or concern? You know, with Cincinnati, some people overreact to maybe a crowded depth chart. Tyler Boyd has been someone that we've been a fan of for quite some time here at Saturday or Sunday. T. Higgins is someone that I was a big fan of. He had a really strong rookie year. You have any concerns about Jamar Chase in terms of maybe the volume with two other really 
good other wide receivers there? Or do you think there's plenty to go around and unique skill sets for all of them? Yeah, I, I think there's plenty to go around. To be honest with you, I don't even know exactly what that offense is going to look like. I mean, for us to kind of lean on what we saw last year from Joe Burrow, I think is, I think is is an okay kind of predictive lens. I think that Joe Burrow is clearly a quarterback who's going to be capable of supporting more than one receiver. I, I think that's something that's pretty obvious there, and and I think that with T Higgins and you know Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase, as well as, you know, as well as other players on that team. I I don't really have a concern. I think Jamar Chase is versatile enough to affect the game in more than one way. He can be a player that can be effective, you know, not only in the short areas as a player that can connect on screens, but he can also impact the players. You know, he can also impact the game, you know, on the intermediate and deep levels of the field. So I, I just see a variety of ways he can contribute. So where T Higgins is strong. Jamar Chase can pick up the slack where Tyler Boyd is strong. You know, Jamar Chase can fit in. I mean, he's just a very versatile kind of, kind of, you know, weapon that can fit in the seams between all the receivers and their capabilities. That's what I think makes him unique. And that's why I think Joe Burrow being the quarterback that he is, is going to certainly be able to support those guys. Yeah. I mean, the instant chemistry, I mean, all reports were that Burrow was pounding the table for him. Penny Sewell made more sense from a team building perspective, but Burrow wanted his guy and I think because of that, because of the connection, the rapport that those two have, I think he's going to hit the ground running. He may lead the team in targets, even in his rookie year, even with those two other guys there. But I will say this before I shoot it over to Jeff for the 1.02 pick. I think there's plenty to go around there. I think their defense is still a very much a work in progress. So I think they're going to give up a lot of points. And if the offensive line could just be serviceable, you know, even if it's slightly below average, but just enough to keep Joe Burrow healthy, I think Bengals across the board are going to be are going to be buys in dynasty leagues, in redraft leagues. I think Joe Mixon is on his way to a career year. Now with Giovanni Bernard there, I think T Higgins, people might be able to buy low on T Higgins because people are overly concerned that he's now you're being pushed down the pecking order. I still even think Tyler Boyd could be bought at a reasonable value, you know, and maybe bought cheaper than he would have been, you know, had Chase not been drafted there. So I think that whole offense is, is buys across the board. I'm going to like him for redraft, for dynasty, for best ball, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm all in on the Bengals this year in terms of their offense. So I like Chase. I think he's a high level prospect on the, on somewhere in that spectrum of a more athletic DeAndre Hopkins in terms of his skill set. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he really takes the lead by storm. And I think paired with Joe Burrow, he's going to have a great opportunity and some other really good skilled wide receivers there. So Jeff, let me take it over to you for the 1.02 pick. At 1.02, I'll select uh, tight end Kyle Pitts. And he'd probably be, it, it is a hard decision between him and Chase, but he would be my 101, I think. And mostly because, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, rookie tight ends, you know, not really panning out. It's a risky position, but all of these are risky positions. You know, <laughs> there, there's plenty of, of prospects that don't pan out across the board. I mean, Nikhil Harry was the consensus top wide receiver and he, he did absolutely nothing. So if I hit, with Kyle Pitts, the, the, the upside, the reward is phenomenal. And, and I think that's just what you're going for here is, is return on investment. And especially if he hits. Shane, I want to bring it over to you because you had that first pick because I think these are the two guys that I get the, I get running back, the need, the scarcity, but when you're talking about dynasty, you know, in a vacuum, if we're not taking, you know, what a, a roster looks like, 
to me, these are the guys that could be the two biggest difference makers for the longest period of time. Was there any consideration tight end is not usually a position we see up here at the top of rookie rankings, very rarely, if ever, for you, was there was it much of a debate, or for you, it was clearly Chase, or does Pitts' skill set and how much of a unicorn he is, was, was he in the consideration for you at that 1.01 pick? Yeah, and I've taken Pitts in FFPC league, so I just need a little nudge, which is, you know, just one and a <laughs> half point PPR for tight end, which isn't really that much of a premium, but it's just enough to be like, well, you know, it's a tight end premium I have to. Yeah, because the positional advantage he gives you, it's not, you know, it's it's Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey was what the wide receiver. I don't know. He was a top 10 wide receiver last year at the tight end position. Darren Waller was a, a top 14 or 15 wide receiver, you know, at the tight end position. If you get a player like that, you're going to crush other teams when they're running out, you know, guys like um I love Mark Andrews and not Mark Andrews, but Dawson Knox or, you know, they're telling you that Adam Troutman's the next big thing. You know, they're just, you're going to, you're getting a 15 point advantage over those guys every week. Um, so I completely understand it. Cause yeah, I think Kyle Pitts is going to be a tight end mostly in name, um, which is fine for me and expect them to get 120 targets a year and putting up wide receiver numbers. So that's, I, I can't argue with anyone that takes him at one-on-one, no argument whatsoever. Yeah, and Matt, I see, I see in the chat you have him as your one point oh one, and I agree. If I if I would have adjusted the order in which we did this draft tonight, and so it sounds like we all are in consensus that these are the top two guys. Some of us would have had Pitts there. Some of some of us would have had Chase there. It really is the two guys that I think when you can, if you try to have big picture, long term view of a of a dominant player. To me, these are the two guys that I can look at and I could say I see top five to top seven wide receiver skill with the potential maybe a top three. And then for Pitts, it would almost where he's coming in, it would almost be disappointing if by the end of his second year, he's not in the top three, top four mix at the tight end position. And I think most people anticipate within a few years, he's at the top, right? Kelsey's getting older, you know, more weapons to kind of share the wealth there in San Francisco. And George Kittle is such a great blocker that even if it's just a little bit, uh, Mark Andrews is great, but you know, the Baltimore offense, not as conducive to heavy volume, you know, Julio Jones, I think it would be foolish for them to trade. I don't think he's going anywhere this year, but if they move on from him after this year, I think you're looking at a team that Atlanta's going to build around in terms of their offense of make sure Calvin Ridley gets 120 to 140 targets, make sure, you know, Kyle Pitts gets 120 targets. And I think that's going to be the focal point there. So all in agreement, it seems like that those were the top two guys. So let me take this to the 1.03 and hoping one of these guys was going to fall there and maybe someone was going to take the running back. It doesn't happen. So I will pivot to the running back and I will select Najee Harris. I think he is the most complete back in this class. I think he's the guy that has the greatest opportunity for immediate production. And while dynasty, we're looking a little bit more of a long-term view. I think you should really keep your focus for running backs on a two to three year window because things change so fast. And I think you're talking about a guy who I think bare minimum gets 17 to to 18 touches a game. I think potentially 20. I think he's going to be a three down guy, probably play 75% of the snaps, which is a ton for a running back in today's NFL. I think the biggest concern is the offensive line and the quarterback situation, right? If Ben is completely shot, 
it's going to be really hard for for that offense to to garner a lot of production, a lot of red zone opportunities. They have great receivers, but it's all about Ben and the offensive line for the short term there. But Harris is that complete player. I think his receiving value is very much underappreciated because he's a bigger guy, and I think people aren't used to that. But I think he I think he was the best complete back in this class by far, and he's someone that you know we've been very high on here. So, so Matt, why don't I spin this to you? Because ha- Harris has been your guy forever. Why don't you talk a little bit about Pittsburgh or a little bit about Harris in general? And then when you're done, just pivot right into your pick at 1.04. Yeah, I think Najee Harris brings a, a really unique blend of, you know, that that what we would quintessentially call that size, speed, power kind of back and also the skill of being a great pass catcher. And I think a lot of people are hesitant with him just because, of just that blend together. I mean, we we've all seen, you know, kind of the, the polarizing figure that was Derrick Henry early in his career before he really kind of exploded, you know, over the last two years and also players, you know, of that ilk like Leonard Fournette, where it didn't really kind of cut that way. You know, he was a bigger back. Um, you know, we could say what we want about Leonard Fournette, but I mean, you know, what he did with the Bucks when he was with the Bucks um, was pretty solid and he showed that he was pretty skilled, but, you know, he didn't really show a lot of, you know, kind of, let's just say adaptability beyond that. Whereas like Derrick Henry was able to take his game kind of to the next level, you know, all the way around. I think Najee Harris lives more in that in that world of, you know, adaptability, a lot, you know, a la Derrick Henry than he does, you know, Leonard Fournette. He's a guy who's absolutely skillful between the tackles. He really has great control making his cuts and a variety of cuts at that in between the tackles. He has good anticipatory and kind of an understanding of the way defensive kind of linebacker coverages and things of that nature kind of settle and distribute on runs. He has a good feel for, you know, how to use his offensive linemen and blocks to create holes. And then from a pass catching standpoint, it's really hard to, to kind of knock him in any way. He's good along the sidelines. He's good at the catch point in the air versus, you know, contested situations. He can make catches under pressure, third down, end zone, red zone, you name it. I mean, what else do you really want from a back who's that big? And, you know, I saw a recent episode of, you know, I think it was Rocket Mortgage called Draft House, where it was like, you know, Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle all living together doing things. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were getting ready for the draft. I They were getting ready for the combine or the uh, pro days or something like that. Um, he's, he's a monster dude. When you see him walking among, among us, normal folks, like he is enormous. And I just think that he's going to bring, you know, Pittsburgh fans like James Conner and what he brought and thought that there was room for him to grow. I think they're going to get immediately out of the gate, everything they wanted from James Conner and more. And and I think they should be really excited. So great job for Pittsburgh. And, and you know what, at the 1.04, I, I'm going to uh, listen. I, I usually play the controversial role um, when it comes to these shows because I never go chalk. Um, so I, I'm going to kind of live by that and keep doing that. And I'm going to go a little bit uh, on the on the kind of fringe here. I'm going to say is since it doesn't really matter, you know, we don't know what the situations are. I, I'm going to go with players that I think could change the game for me. I'm going to go at the 1.04. I'm going to go ahead and draft Trevor Lawrence. And it was really tight between three quarterbacks. It was between him, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Um, it really could have gone either way. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence is a, is a great player. Um, I, I like the situation that he could be in. Um, and I, I think that when you're talking about the quarterbacks right now in Dynasty that really should go over Trevor Lawrence, I think outside of 
outside of a team that has, let's say, the likes of Kyler Murray or, you know, the likes of, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, the list is not much longer than seven players if you really think about it. You know, I think if you're sitting there with a player like Aaron Rodgers or even Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson to me is where you start saying, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll take Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance. I think that's right about where you start thinking. So I'm going to assume that I could be one of those teams in the four hole that has an elderly quarterback on their kind of later years. And I'm going to go ahead and take a young quarterback who could be, you know, top five, you know, in as, as soon as next year. And I'm going to kind of go that route. And believe me, my heart lies with Justin Fields, but I also like what, what Trevor Lawrence brings. And I know that um, he's going to be an outstanding quarterback as well. I think it's so fascinating and that's why we wanted to do one quarterback instead of super flex in terms of the rookie mock, because I do think it's so interesting where people peg the quarterbacks each year. You know, if, if we in hindsight think about like, Oh, like if we knew Patrick Mahomes was going to be Patrick Mahomes, right. He goes 1.01 in any setting. Same thing with Lamar Jackson, right? Josh Allen goes maybe not 1.01, but maybe he does. Maybe he goes in the first three picks or of those rookie drafts, even in one quarterback. So I, I always think it's interesting that even in one quarterback, we sometimes are hesitant to take the quarterbacks maybe as early as they should go. Because yes, I get it. You don't need, you only need 10 or 12 starters. Most leagues are 12, you know, so, so I get that component of it. But if a guy like Trevor Lawrence, if you envision a scenario where he becomes one of the best three to four quarterbacks in the NFL and high level producer on a level of Mahomes and Jackson and, you know, whatever, pick the other top quarterbacks in the well, league. Paul, Paul, let me cut you off. Let me ask you honestly, seriously, if you, we knew, if we knew Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, let's just say they were among the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL by the end of year two or three. Is that really a bad pick? Any one of those guys? No, but I, but I do think if they're I do think if they're hovering in the eight to I do think if they're hovering in like the seven to ten range, you're starting to get a little bit to the territory where there's a lot of guys who are close. So I think if you if you're if you're like okay, like I draft a guy and he's the seventh or eighth quarterback every year in fantasy, that's really good. But is it that much different than the guy who's 11 or 12? Like, I don't know if there's enough there. So I think that's why it really, to me, I almost use it as if I don't think he could be top five, I understand pushing him down the board, right? Because maybe you're passing on the guy who could be a wide receiver one. So if you're telling me I could have a wide receiver one or a borderline, you know, low end wide receiver one, high wide receiver two, that's probably more valuable than a quarterback who's in that seven to 10 range, just because of the value of how many wide receivers you need. But, but you're right. It's not a bad pick. Sometimes you can make the case it might even be a safe pick because we see so many wide receivers. And we listen, we see plenty of quarterbacks bust too, but the ones with the running capabilities usually have a way of, of providing some type of safety valve. So, yeah, so I, I think we undervalue sometimes the quarterbacks in one quarterback if we think the ceiling is really high. And I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think the ceiling is really high for Trevor Lawrence. So I, so I do think, and, and Jeff, I, I mean, uh, Shane, let me bring it over to you for a second because you're on deck anyway. How close for you is Lawrence in the mix in this range? Is it too early for the way you draft or based on the guys that are left? Or do you think he's at least in the conversation in this range or maybe within the next pick or two? 
So what's funny is um, <clears throat> in Superflex, I'll, I'll completely overpay for a quarterback, not even think twice about it. In 1QB, I'm like, eh, whatever. Who, who do I got, Mitchell Trubisky? But then I end up with Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky. Um, I'm, I'm fine with one of the middling guys, one of those 12 to 17 guys, because they're all the same guy. Unless, of course, yeah, if I knew he's Mahomes, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going back in time and I'm drafting him 101. I the guy that I'm going to draft here is I'm going to run into the same problem, but um, Urban Meyer scares me a little bit. Um, um, His comments this week have been everything. Everything's frightening about that man. Um, <laughs> but just in this draft in particular, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance, as far as fantasy value, now maybe not as a real NFL quarterback, as far as fantasy value though, I think they're close enough that I go, I if, I can get any of those three. If I, you know, towards the end of this round, I don't want to give anything away. Um, I would definitely, definitely be uh, thinking about taking a guy there. This, this is still too early for me for a quarterback. Although if this is, if there's a class, you're going to do it, this, this would be the class to do it in. Yeah, absolutely. I I just want to historically go on record that I've taken Kyler Murray fifth overall (laughs) in these drafts. I just, I, I have that on record there. I was just throwing that out there to all the people listening to this going, this guy is out of his mind. You know what? It was nice seeing you on the show. Go take another hiatus. <laughs> so, so, Shane, 1.05. Is there going to be some fandom in this pick, or are we pivoting to a different, uh, different somewhere else? No, no. We're not doing fandom here. Not, not at 105. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not that good, so I can't be doing that at 105. I'm taking Travis Etienne. Um yeah, Urban scares me a lot. Like he frightens me a very lot. One of the good things is though he thinks Travis Etienne is a weak wide receiver, um, which I guess makes more sense that he drafted him in the first round. Now, um, so maybe he's going to see 115 targets his rookie year, or maybe it's just coach speak. But either way, I think Etienne's good enough um, and special enough of a player that. He's just too good to pass up here. I mean, he's one of those guys that's legit. One of those few guys that's legitimately you get the ball in his hands and he can score. You know, um, he scored a ton in college. He scored a ton in high school too. Like the guy just scores touchdowns. It's what he does. Um, improved his game. He was just, he was afraid of catching the ball two years ago, and now it looks like it's one of his best attributes. So, yeah, I love ETN here if I can get him. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I think ETN is right up there in the mix with with these guys. I would have no problem if he w- was picked four. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of drafts start with the the Chase, the Pitts in some order, and then Etienne and, and uh, Najee Harris, probably Harris first and then Etienne. Jeff, let me kick it over to you before you make your pick as well. Any trying to make sense of Urban Meyer's comments in terms of, you know, it was out there that he wanted Kadarius Tony and then he pivoted once Tony was taken to Ethan. Like, I don't know if, if he's envisioning a different type of role. Like, you know, it sure seemed like he was going to be drafted as a running back who, yes, like Shane said, improved his pass catching to make him more of a versatile player, but not urban Myers talking about a usage for him. That is very different than I think anybody expected. Is it just coach speak you think, or is there some truth to it that he really has plans to use him as a Percy Harvin type player? And that's where they pivoted to when, when the wide receiver he wanted wasn't there, who, who kind of fits that bill a little bit better. I don't think uh one Oh five is a wasted pick on JD McKissick, right? Shane. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't believe the coach speak at all. I, I think we get way too carried away with these narratives. Um, I, I do think uh, James Robinson isn't a back that you should dismiss so quickly. <sighs> what you have to bank on for ETN is efficiency. And I think it's kind of in contrast to Najee Harris, like the number one thing draft capital is not the number one correlation to fantasy points. Like touches is the number one correlation to fantasy points. Right. And so that's why I think like Najee Harris is, I think a clear tier above all of these other running backs for me, but I don't, I don't fault the pick because running backs are important. You've got a dynamic athlete and urban Meyer is a, it's a very scary situation in Jacksonville. Um, I think it's on Trevor Lawrence, I think, honestly, to shoulder a turnaround of that team. I mean, obviously, Meyer is going to have to play his role and, and he can sabotage all of this himself, um, you know, playing Tim Tebow at tight end. But um, I, I don't fault the pick. Um, I think it's I think it's fair. I will probably I, I made a joke about drafting the second best running back on a team, but I'm going to be a hypocrite and do just the same with 106 and draft Javante Williams. Um, and mostly that's because there's three running backs. I feel pretty good um, coming out of the first round in this draft. And, and I'll take the third one here. And even though I love some of these wide receivers on the board, I think I'll be able to swing back around and grab one that I really like. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the these two running backs are, are really an intriguing process and to really kind of dig in a little bit deeper. When it when it comes to Etienne, I do think there is some truth to the coach speak in terms of not ruffling the feathers of the guys you have there, right? He's a college coach coming into the NFL for his first time. They signed the veteran in Carlos Hyde, who he's known since college, right? You know, so like he just gave him some money in free agency. James Robinson was a UDFA last year who had a fantastic rookie season, even though I've been screaming from the hilltop to sell him at his highest value because the writing was on the wall. UDFAs, it it's rare that that teams really dig in and 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 believe in a UDFA for long term for fantasy viability. So I do think there's a little bit of that. But when truth when push comes to shove and and he gets on there and he sees him as a running back, I think that's going to eventually win out, right? Like when when Trevor Lawrence is back there and wants to hand the ball off, are you going to hand it off to the explosive level athlete who's a high level player in college? Or you're going to end up handing it off to the UDFA free age, the UDFA last year, who yes had a respectable to very good year last year on a team that wasn't doing anything, or a, an aging veteran who is is a slow plotting two down running back right now. I, I just think eventually the cream is going to rise to the top. I do think it's opened the door for some legitimate conversation between. Ethan and Javante Williams of who should come maybe there because of this uncertainty, I could see somebody, but on the flip side, as Shane was saying, well, if you're telling me he's going to catch 70 passes, well, then he doesn't need 14 carries a game, right? If he's going to catch 70 to 75 passes in the season, he's probably okay getting 10 carries a week, right? And that's going to be more than enough to be a high level high-level player. I think eventually it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's going to be this full-blown slash wide receiver hybrid player. I, I, I think he's going to eventually be more 
And I don't think his game is very similar to Alvin Kamara, but I could see a scenario where eventually he's utilized in an Alvin Kamara usage type way in terms of the touches, the carries and, and stuff like that. So, so I, I kind of think that's where the Ethian is. The, the Javante Williams thing is fascinating. And I, I kind of want to rapid fire around the board here, this question, because I think this is where he should be in consideration to come off the board. Matt, I'll start with you. I'll go to Shane and then I'll go back to you, Jeff, since this was your pick. If Aaron Rodgers got traded to Denver today, before we went on this show, how much higher do we think, do you feel comfortable taking Javante Williams? Do you think, Matt, he would have been picked somewhere before within those first five picks? Or do you think he warranted going there if all of a sudden they have the entire piece now, right? They have those legitimate stud wide receivers, a up and coming athletic tight end. They get this running back and then they go get Aaron Rodgers to put the final piece together. What do you think that would do for Javante Williams in terms of his draft stock in rookie dress? You're on mute. Sorry. I wasn't necessarily sold that uh, Javante Williams wasn't the second overall running back in this class. Anyway, um, I, I think he would have jumped for me clearly to the number two back um, ab- above Etienne. Um, and for me, that's just simply just because I, I think he is that versatile of a back. I mean, I, I think he is that good. I think with an Aaron Rodgers, I, I think Aaron Rodgers would have created situations and holes in that offensive line uh, for him, you know, to run through. It, it's, it, it's a very different situation uh, running in Denver when you have Drew Locke, who teams can stack the box, you know, basically make him one dimensional and create problems for the running game. Whereas if you got Aaron Rodgers, who's going to literally create some opportunities for you out of the backfield, um, just be by virtue of the fact of his passing acumen and the receivers that are there. I think you're talking about why spread offenses have great running backs and air raid schemes. They just do it because they're able to stretch the field so many different ways, you know, from a passing, you know, from a passing standpoint that these backs can get, you know, 1200 yards tripping over it because there's just nobody there to actually, you know, defend the run game. So yeah, I, uh, Javante Williams would have jumped to the number two back three. Would you have taken him at 1.04 instead of Trevor Lawrence? Close. I, I can't say definitively. I'd say close. I'd say close. Very close. I probably I probably would have pulled the trigger, yes. Shane, now at 1.05, you picked Ethan. If Aaron Rodgers was traded earlier today to Denver, would, would Ethan have still been your pick, or would you have pivoted to Javante Williams? No, nah, I, I would have stayed with Ethan. Um, because of look, the receiving production, you think? Yeah, that. and look, Aaron Rodgers is great. I, I don't see him playing another five years, another four years. I mean, maybe he will, who knows? Cause I said the same thing about Tom Brady about seven years ago. <laughs> um, but um, I still like ETM better. I still think even, even though the situation, I guess, yes, it would be better in Denver, except that, you know, Melvin Gordon's still going to be there this year. And then the pass catchers there are phenomenal. Like there's almost never a reason to throw to a running back. I'm sure they will, but you shouldn't ever have to. And if you don't have Drew Locke there, you have Aaron Rodgers, a real, grown-up quarterback, I I don't know that we'd see a ton of targets to the running backs. I know Aaron Jones obviously saw a ton of targets for the Packers, but it's like it was Devontae Adams and then, yeah, you know, they just didn't have a second wide receiver. You have three really good wide receiving options in Denver that I think Rodgers, if he wanted to, now he can do whatever he wants, but I think he would just pick defenses apart with Judy, um, Sutton, and uh, Fant. Yeah, I think that – to me, Javante Williams would be a little bit more 
touchdown dependent for sure, right? And we, the, the touchdown opportunities would probably dramatically, you know, improve as the year goes on. I think Gordon's one of those guys who's going to start to be phased out. Like, if, if I was going to make a bold prediction, I think my bold prediction would be there's a off, there's not a, there's a, there's a greater than non-zero percent chance he's the surprise cut of summer like Leonard Fournette last year. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if I was going to pick one veteran running back who would be a surprise cut, I could see it. Now, if they get Aaron Rodgers, I don't think they'll cut the veteran running back. So this would be more, if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, I could see them potentially making the cut and just pulling the cord out from now. Most likely scenario is he starts the year probably as the lead in a timeshare. And then maybe as the year goes on, you know, Williams slowly eats into that. And then Jeff, for you, would Aaron Rod, I, I must correct me if I'm wrong, was Ethan your number two back? And then you took Williams here because Ethan was off the board. And would that have flip flopped if Aaron Rodgers had been traded there prior to us starting this pod? Um, I mean, I, I, well, first they're all in the same tier for me, and and I tend to like doing tier based drafting. Um, I did have uh, Javante Williams a hair above ETN. Um, it's close. I, I I I don't have a problem going one way or the other. Aaron Rodgers might be a good tiebreaker, but he doesn't nudge it th- that much to me, um, mostly because. You know, we talked a little bit about Aaron Jones, but Melvin Gordon last year was uh, a the RB twelve or something like that. He was an RB one himself, and and he's not. You know, I just I don't think that um, I I use that to say that there's a good opportunity for running backs already there with Drew Locke. Um, they don't need Aaron Rodgers to get production out of that that position, and you know, I do think everything gets muddied with with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams on the team together, but that's, that's a short term thing. And, you know, it's, it, maybe it's not Aaron Rodgers, but um, there's an opportunity that they upgrade the quarterback position next year when we're all really excited for Javante Williams anyways. So it's, it's a little bit of a boost, but I, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really factor it in too much as sort of even an anticipation of why I would reach for Javante Williams. If, even if you thought that was going to happen. Yeah. And I think, I think last year is the perfect example of, we often have conversations about what's currently in the, on the depth chart at the running back positions. And we sometimes overreact to it and look how quickly it changes, right? If we rewind 365 days ago, we were talking about how Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to, you know, even though he drafted in round one, Damian Williams basically was the MVP of that Super Bowl, and he's still there. And in Baltimore, it was Mark Ingram who had came off a really good year. And in in Detroit, there was I was I was among them, Carry On Johnson believers who now is not even on the roster, you know. And then even in even with Los Angeles, right? Everyone was really high on Darrell Henderson. Then they make the Cam Akers pick. And, you know, and now it seems like it's going to be Akers' job and Henderson's going to be more of a role player. So it's like these things have a way to quickly kind of settle itself out. And if a team usually invests a top two pick, top two round pick, unless you're the Seahawks and Rashad Penny, more times than not, you get an opportunity sooner rather than later to be that lead guy there. So I think it's inevitable that Williams is going to get his chance. Uh, so yeah, even with the uncertainty at quarterback right now, or the possibility of Aaron Rodgers, if that ever was to come into an existence, it probably doesn't move the needle as much as 
you know, just their success level, obviously they become Super Bowl contenders. If he was to go there, I don't think he probably changes it because as we saw here, he still went pretty high at 1.06. We're not talking about a guy who went late round one or early round two. I think that's where the needle would have been moved a little bit. So let me keep this going at 1.07. I am on the clock. I I'm going to choose between two wide receivers here that I keep flip-flopping in my head in terms of my rankings. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick to where I am right now with my dynasty rookie rankings. And at 1.07, I'm going to take Jalen Waddle wide receiver uh, of the dolphins. To me, it's, it's mostly about upside, you know, like obviously internally I'm, I'm, I'm trying to compare him and his, his teammate Devonta Smith in, from Alabama in terms of who's the right play here. And I, I am under no false pretense that Devonta Smith is going to be more productive in year one. To me, there's not even a debate about it. I think he's going to see potentially the most targets of any of the, the, the rookies, maybe Jamar Chase beats him out, but I think he's going to see substantially more targets than Jalen Waddle. But to me, it's just slightly based on long-term upside. I do think Jalen Waddle is the closest prospect we've had to Tyree Kill. I think he could have that kind of impact, whether or not Tua is the guy that can lead that Dolphins franchise and pull it out of him to be determined. So splitting hairs between those two, slightly going to pick Waddle right now. I could see me flip-flopping if I had this choice in, in drafts, one draft take Smith, one draft take Waddle, because I don't think there is, I don't envision a scenario on my personal big board where I separate those two. I just, I have, I've had a hard time since pre-draft, post-draft. I think both landing spots are, eh, they're okay. Quarterback concerns, to be honest with you, for both of them right now, I think to be determined on both of them. Uh, I think Philadelphia is set up with three first round picks next year to get that upgrade if they need to be, if Jalen Hurts is not the guy. Uh, So I think they, you know, Miami still has a lot of draft capital too from a bunch of their trades. So they're both set up potentially to make a move down the line at quarterback. Uh, So I'm not going to use that too much in terms of that. So I'm just going to shoot with the slightly higher upside uh, in terms of that. Matt, any thoughts on the Smith Waddle debate. I mean, this is a debate that has been ongoing for, you know, for a year plus, to be honest with you, as we tried to make sense of these Alabama wide receivers in terms of separating them from Alabama in terms of their transition. I mean, speed kills, right? Speed kills. And, and like, you know, Jalen Waddle by far, I think it's very, 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 very short-sighted to just consider him, you know, only a player who's you know great after the catch or only a player who's going to win on deep routes I, I think he's way more um i think he's way more refined than that i think he's building every year he's shown development and growth i think he's only developing as a wide receiver even more every year you've seen it since his freshman year to where he was in high school i mean listen he's been a you know he's been a wide receiver since high school it's not like it's a you know position change like i know Kadarius tony who we'll talk about had a major position change since high school right at some point so that was a big thing for him to overcome this has been waddle's position since high school and he was basically used in space very much the way he was used in alabama but over his time in alabama his route tree what he's had to learn to do in terms of the way he's had to we talk about problem solving the way he's learned how to adapt to various problems on the field he's shown tremendous growth he's shown tremendous growth and i have no reason to believe that with his quarterback from alabama in a system where he doesn't have to be the guy too out of the gate he's going to be an opportunity for him to grow in, in, in really 
in, intensely at Miami. Like, I think Miami's a great spot for him. I mean, for me, you know, out of the two guys, I, I, I'm honestly like I was thinking about it too. Like, who would I go with? Would I go with him or would I go with Devonta Smith? So I'm very happy here that in the next pick, <laughs> I'm going to get Devonta Smith because I think that's exactly where I'm going to go um, if I had the choice between the two. Um, reason, reason because is I think I think Devonta Smith kind of gets that, you know, that gets that, you know, that kind of like, well, he was great when he played at Alabama, but he's going to have a lot of trouble in the NFL. The whole his BMI and he's the slim reaper. Look how narrow framed he is and it's just not going to work. He's an extremely good wide receiver and he catches everything. I don't think that can be overstated. He catches everything. He dogged Derek Stinley Jr. this year. Do you know how good Derek Stinley Jr. is? He's extremely good. And he made him look like he needed to work on things. I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. You know, I I I am a big fan of Derek Stinley Jr. as a cornerback. And I think Devonta Smith showed why he deserved to be among top ten. My only my only issue is I wish the Giants had gotten him. I love Kadarius <laughs> Tony as a pick. I get it. I think it was a great pick later in the round. We did a great job getting him. Happy about it. I really wanted Devonta Smith, man. I, I think he's going to be a really good wide receiver at the NFL level. And I mean, he's going to be really good right out of the gate. There's nothing that has me concerned about him. Yeah, tell me his size. Listen, he didn't get hurt in college. He didn't get hurt in college. So I, I'm concerned. Where's this whole? He doesn't know how to protect himself. He knows how to protect himself. He doesn't take big collisions. I, I'm I'm very much on the Devonta Smith bandwagon. And not to mention, he had great success with Jalen Hurts as well. It's not like he didn't know how to play with Jalen Hurts. He's had Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. So it, no, it's there's some familiarity there as well. So yeah, I, I'm I mean, happy to take him. Yeah, listen, the, as mad as you were, the Giants were equally mad. Like, And I remember draft night, I, I saw I was on with uh, Christopher Harris on the Harris Football live stream, and I saw on the ticker it said Eagles are on the clock, and I just knew it was another from the last game of the season to the, the draft night, the pick before, the Eagles just keep sticking it to the Giants. Shane, thoughts on Devonta Smith? I know the Eagles are your team level of excitement on draft night when you saw them leapfrog the giants. And I would assume you knew it was for Devonta Smith. What do you, what do you think about immediate impact, long-term upside excitement level, just with the, the player in general too? Well, I'm old enough to remember when the Eagles traded up for Earl Thomas and it turned into Brandon Graham. And uh, that was a horrible <laughs> draft for the first five years of their career. Um, last eight, a little different. No, you, you knew it had to be Smith. Although, like, part of me, because it's the Eagles and they've done everything just awful. I, I swore they're like, are they getting fields here? They're really going to draft fields here, aren't they? <laughs> but they got Smith. Um, I was more worried about him oddly before he was an Eagle than I am now. Now I'm, I'm completely on the bandwagon and I'm, I'm willing to overlook the fact that he's 166 pounds. Cause I go, well, yeah, but he just put up the greatest college football season by a college wide receiver in like this century. So no, he's fine. I, I know. And, all he's, the, and he's 20 pounds heavier than Tutu Atwell. So he's got exactly like, he's not, he's not going to die on the field. Like Tutu <laughs> Atwell is literally going to die on the field. Like Smith <laughs> might, you know what I mean? He might get banged up a little bit here and there, but I think he'll be okay. Now I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think it's a great pick for the Eagles. Obviously they need it. Wide receiver help something serious. And Shane, let me ask you a question. Uh, do you, uh, I'm a little bit optimistic about it as well in the sense that 
I think this could be a, a move that also equally impacts Jalen Rager in a positive way. What do you think about that that idea? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's so. If Rager was going to be a one, and I've said this about other players, um, the player on the other side of him isn't going to stop you. Um, you know, he was going to be, but he's not going to be a wide receiver one, probably. I mean, he's more likely to be a wide receiver two as his upside, which is fine. You know what I mean? Um, it's lower than what I thought it was last year. Um, but that's fine because they had no other wide. It's not like they had good wide receivers, um, on that team last year. So like the target, it's not like they're going to be fighting for targets. There are enough targets going to really bad wide receivers that there'll be plenty of targets for two good wide receivers. It's not like they're especially deeps now, you know, I mean, Greg Ward is still going to be starting on that, that team, unfortunately. So I think it's fine because Rager is not going to get doubled. And if he does, then Devontae Smith's going to burn them. And as soon as they're like, all right, well, let's double him. And you can't do it to both guys. Like, so they're both going to, to help each other a lot and they play differently enough that they're, they're not redundant. Um, if they were redundant assets, you know, like say they were JJ or Sega Whiteside, where they just, no, wait, he can't do anything. Um, never mind. No, they're not redundant assets, so they're not going to hurt each other. Yeah. Shane, before I come back to you for 1.09, one thing I want to say is I think Jalen Rager is a screaming buy right now, to be honest with you in dynasty, because his value has, is so far depreciated, right? Because people, you know, look at it and say, okay, Devonta Smith's there. And people are always under this false narrative that you can't have two good wide receivers. I mean, like, you know, I, I always go back to the Calvin Ridley draft night, you know, where people were down on it. And I was like, why? Like, I love the landing spot from day one. And, I think, you know, John Rager is a guy that everything that could go wrong last year did go wrong, right? You know, Carson Wentz completely collapsed. The offensive line was a train wreck. He was hurt for multiple times, right? And like for these young wide receivers, they were, they had no real offseason. They had no training camp. They had no preseason. Then you get, you know, then he gets injured and he's coming back from injury. And I think it was a leg injury. If anyone knows, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was, you know, it's like you're trying to come back from that. You're a wide receiver. You're, you're probably a little bit, you know, like timid in terms of, you know, going full throttle when you come back. So, you know, I don't want to make excuses, but he had a decent amount of legitimate excuses. Yes. It looks awful when Justin Jefferson goes a pick or two later or whatever it was, and literally puts up arguably the greatest statistical season ever for a wide receiver, not named Randy Moss. So that makes it look awful. But I think people are too quick to now throw in the towel on what was a really just weird year in general for the NFL, for these rookies, and then everything that went wrong for Philly could go wrong. So I think there's, I think there's a value to buying him and we may get to picks later in this draft that I would be saying, don't make a pick. I hate the picks later. If we make it to middle of round two later in rapid fire, I would totally take that pick and, and trade it off for Jalen Rager, you know, and I don't even know if it would cost you a mid second, you know, it might even be a low set. It might even be a late second in rookie drafts to, to, to get Jalen Rager. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I haven't put those offers out, but I wouldn't be stunned if that's where it is. So just wanted to uh, uh, talk a little bit about Rager. Shane, if you have any thoughts on Rager, more thoughts chime in, if not, Make your pick at 1.09. Yeah, it's hard to disagree. And it sounds like you're making excuses for the guy, but that was a really, really bad season all around. I've never seen anything like what happened to Carson Wentz happen to any other player in the history of football. Um, 109, I guess I have to take the last wide receiver in this kind of swaddle. Uh, swaddle? Yeah, this Waddle Smith tier, uh, Bateman for me. Uh, Rashad Bateman. I know everyone's concerned about the volume. 
as I guess you should be since Baltimore threw the ball something like 406 times last year. Um, I, I just, I don't think that's what they want to do. I think, you know, yes, they'll always be a run first offense. I don't think they really want to be a run at all costs, run Lamar Jackson all the time offense because they've spent way too much capital at the wide receiver position in the last three years. They've spent two number one picks, two third round picks, and then they spent a, you know, a fourth too on Tylen Wallace this year. So I'm going with Bateman. I did the math in my head. If they can just get the 500 targets and my dude can get to a 25% target share, I'm looking at 125% tar- uh, 125% targets a year, and I think he can at least be a wide receiver too with that volume, if not better. Yeah, listen, Bateman is a guy who, you know, I have him a little bit lower in my rankings, but I, I don't think that's the consensus. I think for most people, he's either wide receiver four or wide receiver five, and, and I could totally understand that. For me, he's wide receiver six, but really four to six to me is a complete uh, coin flip, and each of them have some positives. Each of them have some question marks on talent alone in a different situation. To me, Bateman's going – up even higher than than maybe where he went right here. If he if he, you know if Green Bay pulled the trigger, let's say at the end of round one, and Aaron Rodgers was still going to play for them, you know what I mean? Like so, there's a lot of spots that Bateman could have went that I would have been all in on the Baltimore. Yeah, I mean at some point someone's probably going to have a good receiving year for them in terms of fantasy viability. It's you know they're it's one of those things that I'm a little bit gun shy in terms of wanting to see a wide receiver actually be fantasy viable in that offense, but. Bateman is a guy that is so skillful. He's not just, they finally feel like they didn't just go for like the vertical threat. Like, you know, I feel like Miles Boykin was an athletic guy who got vertical. Devin DuVernay was a guy who I still didn't, is a role for him in terms of underneath. And then Marquise Brown was the home run threat. He had better route running ability than people gave him credit for, but not on a level like a Devonta Smith or even a Jalen Waddle. But now they just finally got like a legitimate wide receiver that can play inside, can play outside, can win after the catch, can win in his routes. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that type of wide receiver works in this offense. Because we really haven't seen one in the Baltimore offense, a legitimate all around good wide receiver. So maybe the lack of the lack of production and the inconsistency, while it's all being blamed on the Baltimore offense or Lamar Maybe it's also just something to do with they just haven't had a lot of skilled wide receivers. Marquise Brown, maybe I still think he can pan out, not maybe at the level I thought when he first came into the league, but maybe you know part of their their lack of production has just been about them and their wide receivers, and there might be a little bit more opportunity there for a wide receiver to to kind of make some uh, impact there and be and become fantasy viable. Jeff, thoughts on Bateman? Was he next for you in terms of the wide receiver board? And if you wanted to share some thoughts on Bateman, concerns about Baltimore, you know, excitement level, and then maybe take this right into your pick at 1.10. Sure. It it sounds like Bateman is a tier, like in the tier above for Shane. Um, And he's kind of at the top of my next tier below. So for me, it drops off after pick eight. and I have a really hard time differentiating the next, I think, eight players. Um, I really have no problem with it. Um, I'm a fan of the talent. I believe in drafting for talent. Um, you know, to all the conversations about Lamar and the passing and how it evolves and getting him weapons, it kind of makes me sort of think, 
again, everybody was really down on AJ Brown. That's been sort of that parallel has been drawn a lot on Twitter. But let me take it one level deeper and say, does does Ryan Tannehill have his career resurgence if AJ Brown is not on the team? You know, and and that's the type of player Rashad Bateman can be for Lamar Jackson. Not that Lamar Jackson needs a career resurgence, but you know, we've seen little bit of progression each year with Lamar and um, you know, this could just be the next step. And I, and I do think Shane's a hundred percent, right. They're not, they don't want to be a 400 pass attempt team. They probably don't even want to be a 450 pass attempt team, 480, 500, 520 in that range, much more balanced. And I think you're not going to have a lot of um, weapons, receiving weapons there that are fantasy viable, but you could certainly have a couple and Mark Andrews is probably one. And then I think Rashad Bateman is probably the best option on that team to emerge um, after after Mark Andrews. So I, I have no problem with the pick. I think it's pretty smart. Um, and that sort of just that segue leads me into, like I said, being really torn um, on these next eight players or so. And, oh, man, I've, I've been torn going in a couple different directions. Um, I think I'm going to go with Rondale Moore to make this one pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think, that, you know, there's this art, we're starting to get into this draft capital argument now, right? That, that Paul likes to make as far as, you know, these round one options our premier picks are being spent on them. But when I actually look at the numbers and I break it down, there's early round one and then there's late round two and, or late round one and early round two is a chunk for me. And I think that's why all these receivers in this next year are kind of grouped together for me. And I look at the opportunity Rondale has in Arizona, and there's going to be a guy getting a lot of attention and a lot of targets in DeAndre Hopkins. And there's a lot of guys that haven't panned out. Um, we don't know what AJ Green's going to do this year. I, I think he's going to be a complementary piece, a good number two piece. But Christian Kirk is a good player, but he's not stopping anybody from emerging and, and Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler, like he's already off the team. You know, those, those aren't the players that they thought they were getting. And Rondale Moore gives them an element that they just haven't had. Right. So, I mean, we saw, um, you know, we see a lot of people kind of copying what San Francisco is doing with these sort of receiver running back hybrids able to stretch the field horizontally as well as vertically. And that's something that was missing from, from Arizona's offense. It was only really Kyler Murray's scrambling and bootlegs that, that really kind of threatened defenses kind of horizontally. So now you add another element with, you know, Rondale motioning around at jet sweep speeds and, and just creating a lot of conflict for defenses to cover both horizontally and deep. Um, and I think he's going to add a lot of element. I think he's, I think he's going to be able to get a lot of looks, maybe even the second on the team in receptions. So um, I, I just, I think he's not going to be a home run receiver one, but I think he's going to be a very valuable fantasy piece that you could start in your lineup with. I don't see a lot of risk there. Maybe a little bit of injury risk, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think more 
you guys, you know, you said it best there, I think, Jeff, that I do think after the guys who went with our first eight picks, and then I think depending on people's thoughts and takes on the quarterbacks, I do think there is then a very extended group of players with a very, very tiny margin of difference in terms of that. And, you know, people are going to have their favorites in terms of the wide receivers. And and I agree with you a lot on late round one to, you know, early to mid round two. I, I don't think there's much difference there in terms of draft capital. I think a team's investing in, in those ranges are envisioning a guy who's going to make an impact sooner rather than later and be a guy. Uh, you know, for Rondell is, is interesting, right? We saw that amazing freshman year. It's never been reciprocated. Part of that has been injuries. Uh, is that something that he should be knocked for because of the, you know, because of his size and frame? You know, is it something that's, you know, you know, unlucky? You know, I think that's something, you know, to me, I'm not worried about AJ Green in Arizona, to be honest with you. I think he is more name brand now than than actual, you know, production on the football field. You know, I, I just think he basically steps into being that veteran presence like Larry Fitzgerald. You know, Christian Kirk is the guy who I think really gets hurt by this the most because I think when they got AJ Green, I thought Christian Kirk was gonna move inside and he was finally going to be properly placed as their starting slot. Now they run more four wides than anybody in the league. So maybe Christian Kirk and Rondo Moore both going to be their starting inside guys. So it'd be interesting to see, but I, I agree with you. You fast forward a year, there's a possibility that he's number two in terms of targets. And I think the big question over looming Arizona is I'm just not sure they have the right coach. Like he, he wasn't successful in, in college. He like, he, he's a good looking guy who lives in this mansion that they show on the NFL draft every year because it's interesting. But for what it was supposed to be, there's a lot of horizontalness to the game and it just doesn't seem like they're moving much. And it seems like he's actually holding the offense back holding Kyler Murray back. And to be honest with you, if, if they struggle on offense this year, I I would wonder if they would consider a change. You know, they went all in on him, right? Murray was their guy. It was his guy and he wanted him. And I don't think they're, I, I think Murray does a lot more than we've even seen, but I just think that offense that he's been asked to do really hasn't even allowed him to show it. So I, I think Moore is very interesting. I think he's a part of that cluster of, of, of the of wide receivers that come next. For me, he'd be a little bit further down. I'm going to pivot right into 1.11, and then, Matt, I'll shoot it over to you if you have any thoughts on more or my pick here. But at 1.11, I don't see a lot of difference. I still see a lot of guys at the skill players who are close. So this is where I'm going to take my shot with a quarterback because I do think the two remaining quarterbacks who I think warrant going in this area both have top five upside. So if they have top five upside – I think now's the time to pull the trigger. So I'm going to take Trey Lance on pure talent. I like Justin Fields a little bit better, but I'm going to use as my tiebreaker Kyle Shanahan's offense and San Francisco and the potential for him to run, maybe not a Lamar Jackson level, but I think he could be the guy who's second in the league in rushing yards for a quarterback. And while I think Justin Fields has the athleticism to do that, I think Trey Lance could be asked to do it on, on a level that's even more than what Justin Fields is. And I'm going to trust that. Listen, I never believed they tried to force me into believing Mac Jones was the pick. I, I, 
I thought it was because it was people were just so adamant about it. But deep down, it never made sense that they were making that move for Mac Jones. It always made sense that it was for a Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And all signs pointed, in, and Jeff and I talked about this on night one in the draft coverage, there's not a better scheme to quarterback fit than San Francisco, Shanahan, and Trey Lance. So I'm going to take Trey Lance, hope that it all comes together, the rushing, the passing, the Shanahan scheme – for him to be a high level quarterback. Matt, thoughts on if you had any thoughts on Bateman or more, those that wide receiver group, or the thoughts on Trey Lance there before you make your pick at, at, at 1.12 to round that round one. You're on mute again. I do think that for the most part, I think that everybody's picks were, were we're pretty good, and I think the, the the analysis was spot on. I don't really feel like there's much to add. I mean, Rondell Moore is a player that I really do enjoy, so I'm excited to see him um, now get more of a potentially featured role. He's got a little bit of a mountain to climb there, you know, in Arizona. I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily, you know, feel like you know. I think Kirk is now way more expendable than he ever has been, um, which is un which is unfair. I mean, I thought Christian Kirk was a tremendously good receiver, but as you alluded to, he's a little bit miscast in that offense and the way they used him. But I'm excited for Rondell more. But to your point earlier about Trey Lance, I mean, right here at the 112, I'm going with Justin Fields as my next pick. I mean, I'm just taking the quarterback off the board. I think Justin Fields is a credit card thin difference in talent between him and Trevor Lawrence. I think Justin Fields, I don't think people understand how good Justin Fields is. I mean, Trey Lance, you, we can all pontificate about the coach and the relationship and the magical touch and this, that, and the other thing. I have no doubt that Trey Lance will have every opportunity after this year to potentially take over and be the quarterback. No doubt, probably going to pan out, be successful. I'm excited. Justin Fields is another animal altogether. He is an amazing passer. Okay, now listen, he has his limitations and things still to learn, but I'm trying to tell me where the finished products are in round one of any draft in the NFL at any position. Okay, in terms of overall athleticism and overall ability and acumen, toughness, you name it. The man played with broken ribs and basically won a game. I mean, I, what else do you want? He steps into a storied franchise, uh, a franchise that has been dying for a quarterback of that ability for Lord knows how many years. I, I am, I would be, it, it, you know, ecstatic to have him on a team. And like I said, unless you're a team that is, you know, rocking the top of the, you know, the food chain in terms of quarterback play in your respective league, I find it hard to believe that you're not leaving round one with either one of those three quarterbacks this year. I think all three of them probably potentially go at the end of round one um, or the beginning, you know, or the middle, wherever you want to take them. I just think that they do have all of them top five upside. And if you're going to tell me you're going to kick the can down the road next year. Okay. Talk to me about Spencer Rattler. Okay. I don't think he's, I don't think Spencer Rattler is any of these quarterbacks just throwing that out there. So that's just my opinion. So, I think that you have to go and get these guys this year. These guys are phenomenal talents, phenomenal talents. So I, I, I think that we're not talking about just your run-of-the-mill QB class with who knows. These are guys with insane potential, insane. So that's why I would be advocating for these three guys to go. 
Yeah, so round one, quick recap. Pick one was Jamar Chase. Pick two was Kyle Pitts. Pick three was Najee Harris. Pick four was Trevor Lawrence. Pick five was Travis Etienne. Pick six was Javante Williams. Pick seven, Jalen Waddell. Pick eight, Devonta Smith. Pick nine, Rashad Bateman. Pick 10, Rondell Moore. And then we round out with the quarterbacks at 11 and 12. Trey Lance, 11. Justin Fields, 12. Shane, let me kick it over to you before we kick off round two, which will go a little bit more rapid fire. Not a lot of analysis around the horn in between the picks. But you mentioned before where you usually hold off a little bit more on the quarterbacks. All of the top three guys are off the board now. Would they have been... Would Lance and Fields, obviously Lawrence went a while ago, would uh, would Fields and Lance have been in play for you at this pick at 2.01? So some thoughts on that and then make your pick of who will be at 2.01. Yeah, and it's a perfect combination of the the skill of these particular quarterbacks and then the weakness of this class. It kind of – and I don't know if weakness – yeah, weakness is the word I'm looking for. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that are just – you know, like Jeff said a few picks ago, it was like a just a conglomerate of like eight people that any one of them you get, it's like, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Which more did I get? Although I like Rondell more more than the other more, but you know what I mean. Um, there's just a lot of guys that are just super similar, not just for value. So I, I completely see taking Fields and then Lance, um, but you know, whatever order you want to take them in. But yeah, I'm more of a Fields guy myself too. I was, I'm still picking him at 102 in every super flex I can. Um, 201, I would have taken one of those guys. I guess Trey Sermon. Um, I, okay. I mean, I, he's, yeah. We're he, hoping, everybody's hoping this goes better than Keyshawn Vaughn, right? I mean, that's, that's what the hope is. Samaj Pirine and just uh, Bishop Sankey. And yeah, um, look, he's, he's on a, an offense that's really good for running backs. And those, what was it? Three games. He looked really good in those three games when he was healthy and it was his backfield. Um, and sadly, that's enough to make you the uh, 201 in this draft for me. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I feel about this pick now that I just talked about it. But no, I mean, he's a starting running back, right? He's on a good offense. I mean, he, he can catch passes. He's The upside is there. Well, this this could be a very good pick. Um, he's definitely very far below the top three running backs of the class. But, you know, 201, I'll take him here. Yeah, I mean, I think that when it, when it comes to him, it's all about the ceiling, right? If he, if he wasn't selected by San Francisco, the Shanahan and the opening that's there, even though they have a lot of guys in that depth chart, you're most there and Jeff Wilson and they signed Wayne Gallman, you know, if, if that opportunity wasn't there and it wasn't the Shanahan scheme, he wouldn't be sniffing this range of rookie drafts. And to be honest with you, this might be late, to be honest with you. From what I've seen out there, he's going – I've seen him as high as middle around one, not that far behind the other guys. I don't agree with that. I think your I think your odds of that happening and working out are low. Maybe you look like a genius because it could work out, right? We've seen guys in the Shanahan scheme be elite, you know, so it could work out. It's just I think he's being pushed up a little bit too much for my liking. But you're right, it falls off 
really quick in this draft class, right? There's not a, there's not a lot of guys, and especially at the running back position, you feel very strongly about. So I, I think this is closing in on Trey Sermon time, where I, I think the, the argument can be made for sure, uh, and and I'm okay with it there. I'm not okay when when I see him going like middle of round one, like 1.06, 1.07, but I think late round one to the first handful of picks in round two, I think it's about where he's going to go off the board in, in most drafts and, and probably should based on this class because you are swinging for the fences a little bit. And if he becomes the guy in that and Trey Lance pans out and and they have a plethora of, of other skill players that are going to open up the field, he could be very, very good. It's just we know there's some level of risk with a late round three running back being the guy. It's not doesn't happen too often. So, Jeff, you're up 2.02. Yeah, when I said I was torn last uh, last pick between a couple ways to go, it was Rondale Moore or the quarterbacks. And unfortunately, quarterbacks, I'm drafting the Sharks. You guys are smart. <laughs> um, they, they went where they should. And that's going to leave me with a guy, taking a guy I know is not going to be around for my next pick because I know who I'm drafting with. And that's uh, Terrace, Terrace Marshall. Um, <laughs> I see Matt shaking his head. But... Um, yeah, look at look at Matt's uh, uh, YouTube video of of explaining uh, skill with uh, with Terrace Marshall, and, and you'll kind of see what I'm picturing. Um, he he fell in the draft, but that was a medical thing with his foot, and it seems like it's all checked out. He I really love the landing spot um, within uh, Carolina too, just the way that it's an open offense, and and he's gonna have an ability to be a, a role is a third wide receiver in there and maybe take over from Robbie Anderson. So I'll go 202 Terrace Marshall. 202 Terrace Marshall. That leaves me on the clock at 2.03. I told myself I am not going to do it. So I'm going to stay true to not making the pick. And honestly, where I'm going with this is something that internally I have been I started out with one way right after the draft. I switched it the other way, and I've been volleying back and forth. I think I'm going to switch back to what my original, if you listen to the original Rookie Ranking show, I had this wide receiver ahead of somebody else. I think I'm going to flip back right now for that just because he's a little bit more refined and polished, and I'm going to make the pick at 2.03 to be Elijah Moore to spare you at least for the next few minutes of me talking about the other New York football wide receiver. Uh, but Elijah Moore, I think the reason why I think when push comes to shove and I'm put on the clock to make a pick like this is I do think there is a possibility of him being the guy who event, who by next year leads the team in targets. He's not the prototype, right? But, but the NFL is different now. So I don't think it's crazy to think that he can be the Jets' number one. Now, what that translates into fantasy in terms of how high, it's unknown. But I do think he's a guy who is uber-talented. You know, Lance Erline has compared him to Antonio Brown. And I know that's lofty praise, but when you talk about his skill and you talk about his craftiness and his route-running ability and his separation quickness, he is really a polished receiver and we've seen these old Miss guys come into the league. I know they, their body types couldn't be different, right? From DK Metcalf to AJ Brown to Elijah Moore. We're talking opposite ends of the spectrum here, you know, but I do think uh, Elijah Moore is, is in an opportunity where a team, 
the offensive coordinator coming from San Francisco. I think he's going to put him in a position to be successful, know how to utilize his skill set. The target and opportunity, I think, is higher than the remaining wide receivers that are left in the short term and potentially to be the lead guy. Now, maybe the Jets go out and eventually get an alpha guy, and and that's probable at some point. But if you're just talking there, I think there's a greater chance a year from now Elijah Moore is out targeting Denzel Mims. And I like Denzel Mims. I just think Elijah Moore is a much more talented player, even though very different body type. So Elijah Moore, the pick here at 2.03. Matt, let me take it over to you, 2.04. And let me go update my rankings because I want my rankings to reflect what I would do in drafts as I as I do it also. Well, you didn't have to take long because I'm going to take Kadarius Tony right here as my next pick. Um, because again, first of all, um, Jeff, you're, you're not going to be getting a holiday card from me after tagging Terrace Marshall. Um, that's you're off that list. Let me tell you. Um, so I, I am, I'm going to go with, uh, Kadarius Tony here at the pick for the New York giants. Uh, Kadarius Tony is, is nothing but potential. Um, I, I think in terms of what he can do immediately is, is, is incredible. I think he's going to add a dimension to this particular team. That's interesting. The, the initial fit in the New York Giants I don't think is particularly obvious. I think it puts the coaches in a position where they're going to have to utilize him. I don't know to what degree I'm, ex- I'm exceptionally uh, <laughs> of, of belief that they are going to maximize his ability. Um, I'm concerned of the way they've used uh, Evan Ingram, despite what he was able to accomplish or lack thereof, just by virtue of the volume that he received. We can argue at nauseum whether or not <laughs> whether or not it was a good season or bad season for him, but... I was never really impressed with the the way that he was schematically used, so I, I don't know what to take, um, you know, in terms of where Kadarius Tony's going to fit in this particular offense. You know, I've heard a lot of things. Paul and I have talked at nauseum about, you know, a you know a gun split backfield with Tony and Barkley in the backfield and some type of you know situations and how that could look. Um, I do think that that could be what Rondale Moore will do in Arizona as well. Not to go back to that pick, um, but yes, I mean. Uh, He's not a gadget player. He's not a gadget player. He's he has a limited repertoire of effectiveness right now. But the but what he is effective in is still areas of the game that are highly utilized, especially with a player like Daniel Jones when they want to run things like RPOs and they want to run screen passes. He's going to be able to get you those couple of yards that you need or more and break it for six if necessary. He's going to be able to do that, and he doesn't really need a lot of space. He is the best short area. He is the best short area skill player I've seen so far in this class. He's got Najee Harris beat. He's got anybody you can think of beat. And when you look at him on tape and watch him run in tight spaces, I, I challenge you to find a better player. He's not Waddle. He doesn't – I'm sorry, Waddle's not as good as him. And I mean that. He's not as good as him in short, tight spaces. But Waddle's a way better overall receiver. So, I mean, you, you, you take and give what you can. But I, I think Kadarius Tony is an excellent player right now when it comes to the screen game. Man, go give him the ball. Jet sweeps, give him the ball. And I don't think there's anybody in this class that holds a candle to him when it comes to those types of plays. So give him the ball. Just give him the ball in those situations, and he's going to be useful. Now let's see if they develop him, and let's see if he takes the next step because that's where I think the draft capital will really pan out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all about whether or not they maximize the skill set. And and I've talked enough in nauseum about if it's not Garrett, I think it'll be somebody else. Quick question, man. I know I wasn't going to go much analysis, but if if Elijah Moore was there, say I pivoted to a totally different spot at 2.03, would you have taken Tony over Moore or would you have taken Moore over Tony? I, I would have taken just just by virtue of the the opportunity and the team and everything, I, I would have probably taken Moore. I, I think Elijah Moore is the better play there for me. Um, I don't think he's. I think he's. I don't think he's the same receiver as like the guys that have been taken so far in this draft. However, I do think his versatility is pretty expansive. He's not Kadarius Tony when it comes to screens and short area quickness, but he's not you know lead feet, and he's not going to be Jalen Waddle down the field, but he's not slow. He can do a little bit of everything, and his acumen as a route runner, I think, is very underappreciated. Um, you know, not, not to talk about the skill, the skill videos as, as I, as I had all, but, um, in the skill videos, you'll see him manipulate three defenders, three defenders. He's manipulating a linebacker, a cornerback and a safety all at once in one route. That's, that's pretty impressive to be aware of that much on the field. So I, I'm excited for him. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And that's why. I wanted to make that flip back to my what my original worth was, uh, you know, right after the draft. Shane, let me kick it over to you for 2.05. We're on mute. I'm on mute. Yeah, I'd probably do anything I could just to trade this pick. But, <laughs> oh, and I hate this so much because I have to take him here because he's going in. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I would immediately trade him to someone else, M- Michael uh, Carter. <sighs> yeah, yeah, Carter, Michael Carter. I I don't like him. I don't like him at all. There's nothing I like about him. The only thing I like about him is that other people like him. So <laughs> I'm, I'm trading him here because I'll just I'll try to trade him, and I have a feeling that in most drafts one of the guys that I want will be there uh, in a couple picks anyway. Literally nothing nice to say about Michael Carter. Nothing. Um, nothing. I'll chime in. I'll chime in and say, I like Michael Carter a little bit as a player. I don't like the ideal. I don't like the draft capital as a day three guy. I know it's early day three. So maybe that can kind of carry the weight here. I think he's going to be productive. So honestly, I don't even know if trading him on draft night's the best move or whenever you make your pick, if, if you're on the clock in the situation. What I do think is, I do think there's a very strong chance he has a productive rookie season. But then I, I am under no mindset that they don't look to upgrade significantly in the offseason, either with a round one or round two pick to continue to help the Zach Wilson building that offense around them or in free agency. I just think the writings on the wall is right now they were like, okay, we're not going to, we have more important positions than running back to build around, right? We want to build the offensive line. We want to do what they didn't do for Sam Darnold. So I like Michael Carter. I think he can be a part of a committee. I thought he was going to go round two. So I like the player. I just think that sometimes, and I think it's happening for two reasons in this draft, in, in these rookie drafts, and what you hear is out there, I think because people like them pre-draft, they're holding on to that a little too much, and because the depth chart is so wide open, they're they're pushing up a fourth-round thing. And, and third, and this might be first, the running back class is just so weak, right, for rookie drafts. So people want to draft running backs. So between a weak running back class, people liking him pre-draft, and a wide open depth chart, it's pushing him significantly up 
you know, and who knows? I mentioned before, Melvin Gordon gets cut. Who's to say, if, if he was to get cut, let's say, who's to say the Jets aren't right there as the first team to want to bring up a, a steady veteran, right? To add to that team, to be there for pass protection. And then all of a sudden, Michael Carter is not even the guy on the field because Michael Carter, while he's a good pass catcher, a very good pass catcher, one of the best in this class as a running back, He's a, he's not very good in, in pass protection. That was Javante Williams job. And he was maybe the best at it in this draft class. So some people are always under the mindset pass catching running back means they're going to get on the field on third downs. Not if you can't pass block in the NFL, that's one way you get ticketed to the bench real quick as a rookie. So there's things to like about Michael Carter. I like the talent. I like the opening there, but I'm leery that round four, it's just a matter of when, not if. Best case scenario, this is a Buffalo Bills situation where they took Singletary in round three. They came back the following year, drafted another third-round guy. But all you've heard since is Buffalo's been looking to upgrade that, right? So they're not happy with two third-round picks. Maybe things are good for Michael Carter if they invest another third-round pick next year or fourth-round pick. Then I think you can maybe say, okay, he's there for a couple years as a productive guy as part of a handcuff. I mean, as part of a committee backfield. So that's kind of... I think it's a little in general. I think this is where he's going to end up going because of the class is so weak, but I do think I'd be a little nervous as Shane was talking about, about making the investment in it. And I'd be looking, we talked before about Jalen Rager, right? Shane, if I put you on the spot right now and said, you could take Jalen Rager in a trade or Michael Carter, it's Rager, right? No question. Yeah, not even a doubt. Yep. But I, but I bet a lot of people are picking, a lot of people wouldn't do that. I bet a lot of people would rather have Carter. So I think that's the mindset that sometimes people are in where you can take advantage of second-year players who've had a slow start to their career. So my favorite thing to do is trade for second-year players. So, Jeff, let me take this over to you, 2.06. I I think you guys hit it. Carter was sort of the uninspiring end of my last tier, and I think you do exactly what you guys just said. Go get Rayer, especially Shane. Just go get him. (laughs) I mean, I don't think... I think you're going to get that deal done nine nine times out of ten too. So, um, and people are going to overvalue the running back position. So, um, but I think the one good thing about Shane's pick is we, we've fallen off a cliff here, um, and uh, and so you're really kind of picking. You're you're. It's not there's not a lot of good draft capital to pick from at this point. Um, there's a few out there, and and I think the one I'll go with is uh, Amari Rogers. I um, it would feel a lot better if I knew Aaron Rodgers was secure on a long term deal there, but I don't think it's a prerequisite to getting good value out of this pick. Mostly because, again, I I, I will go back to Rondale Moore again, and just the element that he brings to an offense. I think Amari Rodgers does a similar thing, where. Um, it's that role that Green Bay doesn't have. So he immediately fills um, he, he fills a lot of the things that allows him to do a lot of things that they otherwise couldn't. So he's going to see the field. He's going to get touches manufactured for him. He's going to get the ball, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Jordan Love. It's, it's Devontae Adams. It's Aaron Jones. You know, you're going to give it to Robert Tanyan or or – Maybe Amari Rogers, who might be able to be a little bit, do a, a lot of other things with that the, the ball there. So that's that's where I'd go with this pick. Yeah, I, I like Amari Rogers' game, and I do think if they ever were able to salvage the relationship with Aaron Rodgers, I do think 
Amari Rogers could be a really viable piece in that offense. He could be their next version of Randall Cobb. So, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see. And, you know, if, if it's not Aaron Rodgers, we'll, we'll see, you know, I'm sure they still have plans for Amari Rodgers, obviously, and they think highly of him. I just think everything is so downgraded that it hurts, but where we're taking him, I think that's, I think that's, sunk into the cost a little bit and personally you know I think he might even be going a little bit higher in rookie drafts if we knew the Aaron Rodgers situation uh was was a little bit you know not a non-issue so that's gonna that's a to be determined I think Amari Rodgers if they were to move on from Aaron Rodgers I think you'll see him even go lower in rookie drafts if they settle the um, the Aaron Rodgers situation. I think you could even see him in some instances go ahead of Michael Carter, depending on teams and stuff like that. Uh, because I do think people will get excited. People have wanted a green, another green Bay wide receiver to be fancy viable forever. And Amari Rodgers may be the most talented one they've brought since, you know, since they got Devontae Adams. I mean, they never seem to make an investment in a, at least a day two pick, let alone a round one pick. So, you know, it, it's something there that, that could uh, really adjust based on the Aaron Rodgers news. At 2.07, I think there's another group of wide receivers here, right, that you can go with the best draft capital and take a round two guy. You can go with the guy with the best landing spot in terms of immediate opportunity, but it's a round four draft capital. I'm going to kind of meet in the middle right here. And for this pick, I'm going to, at 2.07, I'm going to take uh, Josh Palmer of the Chargers. And for me, the reason why I like Palmer is at this point, I'm swinging for defenses. I think Justin Herbert is a stud. I think Mike Williams is not on the Chargers a year from now. So I think there's an opportunity here with decent draft capital. Late round three is, 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 is good, but it's not round two. I get that. But... I think the opportunity long-term here with a young quarterback who is a sending player and a potentially opening as a number two wide receiver there, and even the number one wide receiver is a different style of player who's not a spring chicken. He's got a lot of game left, Keenan Allen. But I think there's a little bit more opportunity there. So I think I would put the draft capital aside for right now and take the guy with the higher ceiling who's still got good draft capital in round three and take Josh Palmer. I think Tennessee did him no favors. I think he showed at the senior bowl, what type of upside he could have. I think he's a guy that the Debbie community is much lower on because he didn't have the market share, the breakout age and stuff like that. But I, it sounded like the NFL people were really high on this guy since the senior bowl. Uh, so I like the fit there with Justin Herbert. And if Mike Williams moves on, He's at least going to get an opportunity. Not saying a round three guy is going to be locked and loaded as a as a number two wide receiver on a team that's building. They'll probably get something else. But I think there's at least a possibility. And where we're talking here at 2.07 in a very weak rookie draft, I'll swing for defenses that it's Palmer gets an opportunity to be the number two there in Los Angeles and 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 Herbert's number one vertical threat. In my scenario that I'm laying out here, if Mike Williams was to move on, Keenan Allen is not a vertical guy. It would be Herbert's top vertical guy. Could be a year from now. It could be Palmer. So that's what intrigues me the most with this pick. So I'll swing there with with, with uh, Palmer. Matt, two point oh eight. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm surprising myself with this pick um, because I, I never anticipated to make this pick here. But if we are swinging for upside and we are looking for players that could, you know, change the dynamics of our team overnight, um, I, I would 
absolutely be looking to trade this, by the way. This is not exactly where I'd be going. We're trading um, our, we're trading most of the second round. We're yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Having, I mean, Jalen Rager, Jalen Rager, Jalen Rager. <laughs> I think it's basically this is every, every picture be Jalen Rager. We're packaging um, them all together, getting yeah. the number one next year, or we're just, or just going to pound people till we get Jalen Rager. Yeah, basically. And, and you know what? I'm going to take Zach Wilson here. I mean, I've drafted too many quarterbacks in this class, but I'm going to take Zach Wilson, man, because I mean, how can if we're talking about value at this point and we're looking at upside and we're looking for that explosive potential? Listen, I, Zach Wilson is not my favorite quarterback in this class, not by a landslide, but to see him here at this juncture he wasn't he wasn't a train wreck i mean he looked great last season and listen he did develop i mean it was a very it was a very very small sample size against competition that we can question up and down about and we know that um but i think that i think that i think the ability the opportunity everything will be there for him to have a chance to to live up to the potential that he was drafted under the guise of potentially having so to speak so I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I think he he's a he's a talented player. He does make some great throws. Um, he did have some great film. I mean, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take the, the quarterback here. It's not where I planned on going. Um, there are uh, several other players I was interested in, but I'm going to swing for the fences here. I'm going to swing for the fences on this pick. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, Wilson is as good as a pick as any because – I'm sure when I shoot this over to Shane, he's going to want to trade this pick because I there's not a lot of guys I'm excited to take. And we're only in the late second round. Usually when we do this show, we finish two rounds and then I rattle off 10 to 15 more names of, of, of guys who would be next in line that I'm really excited about. We, we're struggling to get through two rounds. Well, you know what it is draft right now? You know what it is, Paul? I, I'd be a lot more excited with some of these names in round three. Like if we're in round three. Yeah. Like I'm really excited about at least five more players, but of it's got to be round three value is, is kind of, of where I'm saying. This is, these are the guys that we're taking usually aren't going in round two. So Shane, last pick of the night for you at 2.09, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to get Pat Fryermuth. Um, I, I, I like him. Uh, baby Gronk, right? Well, okay. Maybe not that good, but does he his tight end one upside? Now, obviously, there's a world of difference between between tight end twelve and say like tight end one. But you know, look, tight end one is tight end one, and maybe it's closer to tight end ten. But that's fine. Um, I guess obviously Pittsburgh's got a couple moving parts. Like they're not going to have Ben Roethlisberger after this year. But I, I think Fryermuth will be. You know, he's a weapon. He he can he can block and he can he's a good catcher so receiver so he'll be on the field enough um that honestly i don't like anyone else behind him i mean there's a couple people i would still pick here but just draft capital and again positionally i i think tight end is a good spot to go here so i'll go with fryermuth yeah same same thoughts of the zach wilson right we're talking about we're getting yeah. to a spot now where it's like okay the wide receivers and and running backs yeah, they're really dart throws at this point. And it's like if Ryan Wood pans out and he becomes a tight end one, and if you can get him in that tight end five to tight end 10 range where you're really cooking and not one of the guys basically from tight end 11 to tight end 26 who are basically the same player and you're just praying for a touchdown, you know, and, and I think the possibilities there, I think, I think it's gone a little bit too far with Friar Mood. for a while. He was looked at as a consensus first round pick. 
And then he went, you know, and then they started to say, well, he wasn't going to go round one. Then you heard some Heath Miller comparisons. And listen, Heath Miller was a very good player for a really long time. But I think Friermuth is far, far advanced in terms of ball skills, body control, and receiving upside. I think Heath Miller was very much, you threw it, he caught it, he fell down, he fought for yards, he was reliable. I think Friermuth is very much on a level of a Hunter Henry type receiver in terms of his upside. And maybe not Gronk, but I think he's very much more on a Hunter Henry type level of player than, than Heath Miller. So I get the toughness component of comparing him to Heath Miller, but I almost think that's a little bit of a disservice in terms of what his athletic upside in terms of, and pass catching ability could be. So I think at this point, it's, it's a, it's a smart pick based on the, lack of depth at the running back and we've taken so many receivers already that we've started to really fall off a cliff there a little bit as well jeff final pick of the night at 2.10 yeah i got sniped right there um mostly because i think firemuth is going under the radar because of pits so i think at this point this is where i really depart um my attitude towards draft capital and then then the kind of the pre-draft evaluated talent and and I'll go get the Michael Carter of wide receivers here with Amon Ross St. Brown mostly because I I really love his skill I love the talent <laughs> draft capital only explains a portion of uh what makes a successful player right they they talk about you know the number one correlated factor but that's only explains about 30 percent of why a player is successful and I think um landing spot talent opportunity just you know a guy being able to grow and develop and make the most of his situation is sort of the next is is really what the underwritten ones that it's really hard to quantify with your analytics and i don't believe in the two two atwells um i don't tween eskridge is a nice player but he's not I'm going to go with kind of the guy I loved first here at, with Amon Ra. Yeah, listen, Amon Ra has been a... Follow your heart, Jeff. You follow <laughs> your heart. Amon Ra has been a polarizing player, I think, since draft weekend concluded. And to me, taking him at 2.10 is 100% viable. Taking him where I took, where you took, I think it was you who took Amari Rogers. I can even understand that, right? There's not that much draft capital difference between Amari Rogers and Amon Ross St. Brown. Taking him where I took Palmer, same thing, where Matt took Zach Wilson. All of those guys, I could understand the narrative of taking St. Brown. Where I have struggled with it is when people are telling me he should be picked ahead of guys like Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Toney, you know, Elijah Moore who have round one or second pick in the, in round two draft capital. And we're, we're basing it too much on depth chart and we're basing it too much on pre-draft narratives, whatever we thought about him, right? We all love Tamari and Terry, the Debbie community. How'd that turn out? We all love the Equinemia St. Brown one t- once upon a time. How'd that turn out? We do have to be able to be willing to adjust our narratives a little bit. I feel like some people are pushing him on St. Brown into round one, and I think or, or early round two, and I think that is being a little bit in the now. You want to tell me for a redraft league, you'd rather have a Monroe St. Brown for this upcoming year over Bateman, Tony, Elijah Moore? I could say sure. Roll the dice, best ball, redraft. He might get that opportunity. 
but I also think we have to play the odds a little bit. And somebody we I retweeted who it was last week. I forget who it was, but the hit rate of a round four wide receiver becoming a I think it was a top twenty four wide receiver. It's like two percent or something. While like round one was like thirty percent or something like that. And it, it's somewhere. I'll try to retweet it again. Uh, but it's can a I, staggering, add, add, staggering thing. Can I add one thing to that narrative, though? Like, just one thing to about that statistic. The the NFL landscape has changed dramatically in terms of the way they value pass catchers. I, I think teams are willing to adjust their pass catcher depth chart very quickly if it fits the quarterback and it fits the overall scheme. So what I would say is, well, I definitely agree with that, and I would certainly take heed and strong pause about taking guys in the fourth round and saying that's the wide receiver one to be. I do think that the depth chart at wide receiver is becoming more of a, of a chin scratch of a situation where people are like this guy could work. He could work with our guy. Let's take him and let's see how it, let's see how the dust settles. Like, you know, I think I'm seeing more and more of that guys climbing up those depth charts a little bit quicker as teams are trying to get their passing games going, because I, I, I that's just my opinion from from a distance over the last three years. Oh, so I, I agree. You know with you. I mean, we saw Hunter Renfro, who we liked here on Saturday Sunday, right? Carve out love Hunter Renfro. We loved him. But but, okay. but 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 I think while we see guys carving out roles for NFL value, it's yes. rare. Yes. Yes. It's rare that that turns into top twenty four or top thirty six fantasy value at the position, and. I'm not an analytical guy when it comes to my evaluations and stuff like that. I think analytics are great for play calling and game planning and in-game adjustments. And I do think there is a lot of merit in terms of looking at the percentages and saying, okay, we really got to play the odds a little bit here. If the percentage of a round four wide receiver becoming a wide receiver two for fantasy is this percent under five or under two, and the percentage is 30 or 40% that a round one wide receiver becomes, you know, a top 24 wide receiver. To me, you're overthinking a little bit too much. You're using pre-draft takes a little bit too much and your media depth chart a little bit too much. Who's to say Amon Ross St. Brown is better than Quintus Cephas? Like they both were basically round four draft capital. I like Amon Ross St. Brown better. I, I like Cephas, but I, I like the Amon Ross St. Brown better. But the whole league passed on him repeatedly, right? The, the Lions passed on him twice to take, you know, defensive tackles. So it's like, you know, you, you don't know. And I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL. I just think people pushing him into round one or rookie drafts or early round two is a little bit too rich for mine. I think where I took Palmer, like I said, Amari Rogers, if someone took him there, I, I think it's warranted. So let me well, make my last pick. Oh, yep, Jeff. Let me just add one thing because I've gotten through two rookie drafts that are, are at least now through round three. And I just chucked in both, they went over both Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore. And I think that's where people are going these right now. Um, and what I'm just going to hope with this pick is that I'll get earlier production and I'll immediately try to flip them to whichever one of the receivers drafted ahead, you know, in that other earlier bunch that we were a little bit more excited about. You traded for Jim Some Ryan. of them are going to start slower, right? And And I'll take... You know, I'll be able to flip and say, well, this guy's hitting, you know, let's let's flip, you know, and and, and kind of switch these picks up and maybe throw in a third or something. And, and hopefully I get something like that or, or Jalen Rager or yeah. Denzel Mims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's where I think people are just 
Amon Ross St. Brown has been a guy we've talked about in the Devi community for quite some time, right? And he's just he's just been there. And when he's he was, you know, he's got a lineage and and all that stuff. And I get it. I get the opportunities there. And listen, he pairs well. Matt was talking about pairing wide receivers to 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 like quarterbacks. He fits Jared Goff's skill set perfectly, right? Jared Goff is an underneath guy, targets the slot that's wide open there. I just, I just think we, it's, it's still a little bit of a long shot that he pans out to be a fantasy guy, a really high end fantasy producer in terms of a wide receiver one, two. And I would even say wide receiver three compared to these round one or early round two guys. I think it's a little bit of a stretch. Not that I don't like the player a lot. I just think people are unwilling to adjust, especially right after. I bet August drafts look a little different than right now. I think people are so locked in a little bit to their pre-draft takes that it really makes the immediate rookie drafts get a little bit weird in terms of it. But I think by by the time the summer rolls around, people who do late rookie drafts, I do think it it could flip a little bit or should flip, and and we'll see if it does or not. My last pick, uh, 2.11 here, uh, Jeff mentioned it before. I was debating this pick instead of Palmer at 2.07. I'll take him here. Dwayne Eskridge, he does have the round two draft capital. I like the player. I know he's a little bit older prospect, so people who take that are, are going to knock him. Small school competition. I thought he was a day two type talent. Round two, probably a little bit rich for my taking. I thought he was more of a round three player. But Seattle, we we know Seattle does weird things, right? They overdraft guys and stuff like that uh, and stuff like that. So. I'm going to take Dwayne Eskridge paired with Russell Wilson. I do have some concerns in terms of whether he could ever be fancy viable behind Lockett and Metcalf for the short term. So that's my take with that. So Matt, I know I'm seeing that you have to go. Uh, You have a name for your last pick and I'll, I'll talk about him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, the the parental duties is just uh, kind of creeping up on me. So rather than interrupt the the show, I'll just kind of give you my last pick. So, um, yeah. So right here at the the end of this round, um, I, I'm gonna again try to go after a guy that is more more close to my heart than necessarily a player that I think is, um, you know within the same stratosphere, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with the last pick. I'm going to go ahead and take my guy, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, and I'm going to go into Tennessee and I'm going to go take my boy. Um, we've been fans of him for, for quite a while. And I feel like his name deserves to be among that list of players that you should have in strong consideration, um, for that third round, second round of your rookie drafts and, and really, 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 think about him because I think he's a quintessential big slot receiver. I think he can move inside and outside. He shows tremendous, tremendous route running acumen. He understands a lot of different informational strains. He can manage multiple, multiple receive, you know, multiple, multiple defenders and, you know, at the catch point and what he did at the senior bowl, if you wanted, if you had any question about his ability to kind of make it work at this level, I I think he's shown that and some, so that wide depth chart being wide open, that depth chart is wide open. And I, I think he's an opportunity there to to climb in camp and, and make a big a big splash. And and so I'm going to go ahead and, and go with my heart on this one. I'm going to take Des Fitzpatrick. All right, Matt. Thank you for joining us. I will close out and and round it out. And uh, the Des Fitzpatrick pick, guys, is something that this is where pre-draft bias does impact a lot because you can make the case there should be almost no difference between Des Fitzpatrick and Amon Ross St. Brown, right? They were both taken 
early round four. They both have wide open depth charts. The only difference, I mean, if you look at the ADP difference between these two players, it's staggering in rookie drafts. Absolutely staggering. And the only reason it's staggering is because Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy we've been talking about and in the Debbie community for quite some time. But if you get that out of your mindset, there really is not a lot in terms of transitioning and projecting that says these are very different. They both have wide open opportunities. They have to overcome round four draft capital. But I don't have the ADP data in front of me, but just from what Jeff's saying and what I've been hearing, I'm sure Amon Ross St. Brown's ADP in rookie drafts is somewhere early to mid round two. Maybe, you know, that's where I'm guessing. And I bet Des Fitzpatrick is a round or a round and a half later, to be honest with you. I bet where Matt took him is even earlier than where his ADP is. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure he's going late round three. And to me, that's just people holding on to pre-draft takes and not adjusting it. And to be honest with you, if people went back and watched as Fitzpatrick is redshirt freshman year with Lamar Jackson, People would have a different take, but not a lot of people watch redshirt freshman film, right? They watch more closer to them coming out film. You know, here, you know, we're nuts and we watch these guys for all the years in preparation for this. But he had horrific quarterback play the last couple of years there at, at Louisville. So I just don't think there should be this gaping difference between them and ADP because I do think they both are long shots to make it, but they both have wide open situations. And Greg Cosell, who I think is one of the best evaluators in terms of just film analysis. Again, this is going to sound crazy, but he prefaced it as not the guy who we turned into, but he said his college film he reminded him of Devontae Adams coming out of Fresno State. Not not Devontae Adams, the best wide receiver right. in the NFL on Green Bay, but Devontae Adams was a day-two prospect when he came out. Inside-outside versatility, that was the name that Cosell threw out there. If you if you read his stuff, you know his, his profiles are over at Fantasy Points. He does the Ross Tucker spots and stuff, and he talked. He specifically – brought up Des Fitzpatrick when he could have brought up a lot of guys that they didn't talk about. So, you know, that perks my ears a little bit as, as someone who has access to everything, right? Like we just go by what we have here, you know, limited to on YouTube and stuff like that. But there it is, guys, two round rookie draft. Usually there's a plethora of names that are following in the third round, but you look at this, you got Mac Jones, maybe, you know, depending on your league. Someone's gonna take a someone's gonna take a stash on Kenneth Gainwell probably a little earlier than he should because people liked him pre-draft. I'm a little intrigued by him. After that, I don't know if you're drafting another running back. Hubbard is a handcuff. Ramondre Stevenson, at best, he's been Jarvis Green Ellis there. Larry Roundtree's got to try to f- compete with the other young guys they have behind Austin Eckler as a handcuff. Eli Mitchell is really interested in San Francisco, but we've talked about their running backs. Uh, Khalil Herbert, maybe he could amount to something, you know, in Chicago down the line. Not a lot there. We pretty much picked apart the wide receiver. I guess Deami Brown has day two draft capital. He's a little intriguing. Nico Collins has day two draft capital. He's intriguing a little bit. If they get a quarterback, Tutu Atwell went in round two. But, you know, that frame and, and, and the other playmakers they have there leads a lot to be desired as a fantasy asset. I am really glad that we didn't take Tylen Wallace because I think he's being way overdrafted, even though I really like the player. 
Uh, but Baltimore, you know, who knows where he's buried on that depth chart. Anthony Schwartz, Cornell Powell. The Cornell Powell's the guy that intrigues me, but he intrigues me as like late round three. You know, so like there's some guys out there, Jacob Harris, you know, whether or not he stays at wide receiver, it sounds like he is. I'd be more excited if he switched to tight end. Jalen Darden maybe down the line if anybody leaves Tampa Bay from the core they have there. And then a tight end, I think Tommy Tremble, Trey McKitty, and maybe Brevin Jordan and Hunter Long. A little bit interesting, but Hunter Long kind of going to be tough there unless they move on from Gasecki at some point. A lot of tight ends there in Houston that Brevin Jordan's got to compete with. I think Tremble and McKitty are the two most interesting ones. Uh, I think Tremble's athletic profile is really intriguing and and Notre Dame just didn't use him. Like I'm not saying he's going to beat this, but if there was a guy, you know, whoever was the next guy who came out of nowhere to not be a very receiving productive guy in college, but then materialized in the NFL, in some capacity to George Kittle, it could be a guy like Tommy Tremble because he just has that athletic profile, really high-level athlete who just wasn't asked to be much of a receiver uh, in college. And then Trey McKitty's got an open spot there, open situation with the Chargers, with Hunter Henry moving on. But these guys don't inspire a lot in round three or round four, and those names I just rattled off are probably going to be your guys that are the, you know, the next 12 to 24 picks in some capacity. So Shane, any final thoughts about the rookie drafts in general, what transpired here? If not, please let the audience know where to follow you, what you're working on uh, over at DLF, anything else you want to share, podcasts, info, anything else? I mean, this draft's gone pretty much how every one quarterback start, one quarterback draft is gone. A little aggressive on the quarterbacks, but at the end of the first round, everyone that was gone should have been gone and who shouldn't have been gone. It was still on the board. Um, it's a tough class. It's going to be interesting to look back on it. It's definitely not like the 2020 class where we look at it and we're like, wow, we had superstars all over uh, every part of the draft, um, especially, you know, loaded in the first round. The first round and a half is really loaded. Uh, for me, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, at Chain is the Worst. Uh, I do a podcast, Dynasty Trades HQ. Uh Dynasty Intervention uh, live stream on Tuesdays and then Manic and Chill on YouTube once in a while with my buddy Scott Connor. Um, And thanks for having me on again, man. I'm happy that we could do this again. It's fun every year. Absolutely. It's one of my most excited episodes I look forward to every year because we finally get landing spots. And, you know, it's fun to talk about where these guys end up and then finally trying to project them out into the NFL in terms of fantasy, right? We're talking about fits on draft night and stuff like that and you know, evaluating skill and stuff like that leading up to the draft. But then finally, when we do like a rookie mock draft like this, we finally start to tie it into fantasy football and upside and immediate production. Uh, it's always a blast every year to have you on Jeff, any final thoughts about the draft or anything else? And then please let the audience know where they can follow you as well. I'm, I'm really happy. We didn't like, we talked about each of the picks. I think we're all really aligned in our thoughts. You know, we're not overdrafting Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I was Really happy with that. I think if you want to look at the right, you know, like a pretty much straight down my rankings and my tiers, I don't think we reached on any single pick. And so, um, yeah, this is this is how my draft would go if I had, um, you know, these picks. I, I'd be okay with it. Um, and hopefully one or two of these guys pan out and maybe you got some test stabs in the third or fourth round that you'd probably rather take 
a lot of shots on than only one specific shot on a, on kind of like a call your shot guy this year. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at the sofa scout. That'll be the best way you interact with me. Um, and, uh, put, put out some dynasty rankings here. You'll hear me with, uh, Paul a little bit and, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I got going on that and a baby. So yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of young babies going around here from Matt to me to Jeff, uh, you know, but uh, we are making time to do this fantasy stuff, this draft stuff, because it's fun. It's a great uh, break away from reality. And this last year, we've all needed something to break away from reality a little bit uh, to distract us. If you are enjoying this content, please get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest way to get there. It is still not too late to purchase the premium notebooks. There is still a lot of value to be had from them. The rankings notebook has the dynasty rookie rankings, has IDP rookie rankings, has all my rankings based on film evaluation, my tiers and draft rankings. Uh, it'll have those dynasty rookie rankings updated, you know, throughout the rest of the summer, constant changes dated. You get the, uh, the Sky Notebook, which if you just want all my thoughts on all the rookies that were, for the most part, drafted on the offensive side of the ball, strengths, weaknesses, all of that. And then Draft Projections Notebook, while the draft is coming gone, it does have uh, a snapshot on over almost 400 players on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. It's all for nine ninety nine is the best way to support the show. Uh and help Matt and I continue to do what we're doing here. And I know Matt wanted to talk about it, so I'll just end the night. Please, if you haven't checked out the YouTube SS Football uh, YouTube channel, Matt has really been grinding when he's had some time making these videos of unraveling skill. He's done a ton of the wide receivers from Jamar Chase to Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, uh, Terrace Marshall, I, I, Kadarius Tony, and maybe a few others. He's going to continue to put them out when he has time. He's going to pivot over to another position soon as well. So please get over to YouTube, uh, hit the subscribe button, check those videos out. I think you will find them very interesting uh, on the a little bit of a deeper uh, side analysis of what Matt's been doing with his problem solver uh, paradigm and other stuff as well. I think you'll find it very interesting. So on behalf of Shane, on behalf of Jeff, and on behalf of Matt and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.